Good evening and welcome to the Lockdown Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLLivingLoco and follow our podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. As always, be sure to like, follow, and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform of choice, including Apple, Spotify, Google, and the Megaphone app. Subscribing is free and keeps you up to date on the latest and greatest in Winnipeg Jets news and analysis. On tonight's show, we will be talking a bit about what happened at the end of the Tampa Bay-Dallas Stars Game 2 of the Stanley Cup Finals, as well as continuing our review of players from the Winnipeg Jets season and postseason, including some guys who maybe are a little bit more under the radar and some more depth players who have brighter futures as they start to earn more ice time. Starting us off, though, of course, we have the Tampa Bay Lightning winning Game 2, 3-2 against the Dallas Stars. As you heard from yesterday's episode, though, Tampa definitely had an early advantage going 3-up in the game by the end of Period 1. A lot of it was Dallas just being very undisciplined and taking quite a few penalties, which ended up giving Tampa Bay plenty of opportunities to score on opportunities they may not have had if the Stars had actually stayed disciplined. At even strength, I feel like these two teams have had a few issues creating, especially against the way that both of these teams play. Dallas is very disruptive around their own crease and tends to like to protect it quite a bit against Tampa Bay's forecheck, passing, and speedy counters. So if you're going to get the Stars opened up, I think what you want to do early is to get those power play goals and get them stretched a bit because then they have to start chasing the game, and that's not something that Dallas has always liked to do. The Stars, though, have always been one of those really pesky teams, and in fact, they ended up getting two goals, one from Joe Pavelski and one from Marius Janmark. It was Pavelski's 10th goal of the playoffs, another power play goal that was a really high tip deflection, and Janmark had a nice little tap-in as an assist from John Klingberg. It was Janmark's first of the postseason and probably a little bit overdue for this guy because I think he is somebody who, in the right role, plays a pivotal part of this Dallas Stars offensive PK unit. He's a very versatile forward and somebody that I think Dallas has probably been waiting for a bit of a breakout from. The Stars are probably hoping that it's the first of more than a few goals throughout this series because they definitely need more depth scoring on top of guys like Kiviranta and a few other players, and they're definitely going to want more power play opportunities. I think that this power play for Dallas is one of the best that we've seen in this postseason, and it's really helping them make up for the fact that their even-strength offense isn't quite as prolific as what Tampa Bay can put forth. Curiously, though, for Tampa Bay, I think there were a couple of small worrying signs throughout the game. For one thing, they just looked a bit sluggish compared to the Stars. Even though Dallas found itself down three goals in the first period, they definitely looked a bit faster at even strength and were kind of giving Tampa Bay a few issues, which is not something that you often see. Dallas is one of those teams that really likes to retrieve the puck behind the net and create offense out of that because they're looking for guys who are trailing into the zone or they go straight for the net mouth and try to create chaos that way. When Tampa Bay does it, it's usually a guy like Braden Point just trying to curl the puck around either a pad or somebody else's skate or something, and and they're very good at creating that kind of space. But Dallas is more of just a chuck it in front of the net and hope that some sort of chaos or something finds a friendly skate, blade, or stick on the ice to tap it in. I will say that Dallas's response to going down 3-0 was actually pretty strong. I felt that their overall game was not bad at all. Aside from those undisciplined moments early in the first period that ended up costing them pretty seriously, they played pretty okay hockey for the rest of the game. I think that their biggest challenge was trying to figure out how to solve Andre Vasilevsky, who, despite a few shakier moments, has been pretty good throughout most of the playoffs. I think Game 1 was probably more of an anomaly. I don't think that he'll be conceding too, too many goals going forward. So the Stars are going to have to tighten up defensively and try to get Kudobin to make just a few extra saves. I don't think Anton can really be faulted for what happened in the first period yesterday, but tomorrow he's going to have a bit more of a tougher task. Either way, if you're Dallas, you're definitely thrilled that you're you're going into Game 3 with a 1-1 split. 
I think that if they knew going you know into a future series that they'd have a one one split with the best team in the NHL, they would have taken that over any kind of uncertainty heading into the series. I think that they have the potential to upset the lightning. I don't know that it's going to happen, but Tampa Bay has definitely shown a few vulnerabilities. And maybe, just maybe, there's an outside chance that the scrappy, slightly underdog Dallas Stars team is going to be the one that kind of upsets the cart. You know, we've seen Tampa Bay fall to so-called inferior squads before because there's some strategy that said squad is able to deploy effectively against the way that they counter and move through the neutral zone. So maybe Dallas has something figured out. My guess is it's going to be a competitive series all the way down to the wire. Either way, I will say that it is kind of funny that no one's really watching these games. The, uh, the TV ratings have been pretty poor throughout this playoff series. I just feel like hockey inside of a bubble doesn't really have all that much appeal for most people, and they're kind of watching more NFL and other stuff. European football is back, you know, and, and some of these games aren't exactly at the most convenient times, and they're between teams that I don't think all that many people care about as much as some of the other traditional squads like Toronto and Chicago and some of those teams. For as much star power exists on this Tampa Bay team, I feel like it's really more for hardcore fans than anything. And Dallas, I don't know, has the world's largest fan base either. Aside from mostly diehard hockey fans and whatnot, I don't really see all that many people taking an active interest in this cup finals, and the TV ratings have definitely reflected that. To me, it is kind of a shame because I know that the NHL went to great lengths to put this all together, but apparently there were some articles suggesting that the bubble playoff hockey lifestyle really wasn't all it was cracked up to be. One thing we heard was that NHL players have actually had to pay their meal tabs and stuff through their hotel stays, which I think was something that they probably weren't anticipating. I think that the way that they put this bubble playoff sequence together was such that a lot of teams and the NHL itself really weren't thinking about all of these details or just kind of skipped over them in general. It's not a particularly great look, but I will say that, you know, for everyone who's saying that the NHL is kind of a fraudulent organization and very disorganized and, and really inferior, this is not the only league that's done this in terms of professional sports doing a bubble system where things weren't quite up to standard. I think the NBA definitely did it with a lot more flair and certainly a lot more investments. I mean, it's no secret that the NBA has quite a few financial reserves, right? But even still, I think a couple of the players weren't always happy with some of their accommodations. So, you know, it's not like the NHL is the only one to have these issues, but I think the degree to which the NHL has kind of built this bubble playoffs as one thing compared to what the players actually experienced, I'm sure that a few of them maybe regretted the decision going forward with it. Maybe had they known what all of this would have encompassed and the fact that they're going to be away from their family for weeks at a time, maybe they would have considered doing something else and staying home. Either way, I mean, we got to the cup finals. We didn't really have any positive COVID tests as of late, as far as I know, unless they had just haven't really announced anything like that. But we really haven't seen anyone, you know, coming forward with any stories of positive testing. So at a bare minimum, people seem to stay safe. And I think that that is probably the most important thing of all. They do need to take better care of their players and staff, though, and I think that that's something, if we go through a process like this again, that the NHL and teams will need to be a lot more aware of. This whole environment takes a lot for players and staff to acclimate to and get used to, so you got to make the process as seamless as possible because it is a, a bit of an ask of these guys to go out there and isolate themselves for, you know, basically a couple of months. Now that we're approaching the end, though, a lot of guys have gone home, and I think that they're probably happy to be home. Speaking of guys who are home from the postseason, up next we will cover a few reviews of some players from the Winnipeg Jets, including guys like Janssen Harkins, Jack Roslevic, etc. But before then, speaking of things that you can also find at home, I thought you'd love to hear about rockauto.com. 
Those of us who deal with car maintenance in any capacity know that buying and ordering replacement parts is always a bit of a process, especially when you go to an auto parts store out in the retail world and find out that they don't even have what you're looking for or that the parts are really expensive. How can you save time and money, all from the comfort of your very own home? For all these questions and more, head on over to rockauto.com and check out their impressive selection of auto parts all easily found through their website using an intuitive interface that allows you to sort by make, year, and model of your vehicle, and then set a price range so you get the parts that you need at the prices you want. Whether you're looking for a new engine control module or a floor mat replacement after the last one you destroyed with that greasy taco you dropped, rockauto.com is sure to have what you're looking for in stock. And best of all, you could save 20-50% to off retail brick-and-mortar in-store pricing. To get started, just head on over to rockauto.com, place your order, and when you do, be sure to write locked on in the how-did-you-hear-about-us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com today. Welcome back to the Lockdown Winnipeg Jets podcast. We are continuing our series of Winnipeg Jets player reviews. And up next, we're going to talk about a guy who I think is a little polarizing for me just because I feel like there are parts of his game that I really find entertaining. And there are parts where I feel like we haven't yet seen the best of him. I am, of course, referring to fake center Jack Roslovic, who is actually a winger. And Jack is one of those guys who I think has always been kind of on the margins of the Jets roster. Roslovic has a lot of skill sets and talents that make him somebody who I think, in a different environment, would be a very interesting, perhaps even a special player. But with the Jets, we're not always getting that from him. I feel like we've seen flashes of incredible skill and the kind of playmaking and spatial navigation ability that we've seen with guys like Matthew Perot. Roslovic kind of compares to him in some ways in that he's able to get into those greasy tight areas and he's able to create some really high danger opportunities because he's a smaller guy, he can fit in between those defensive lines, he's got well-rounded skating and he's smart about how he uses it and you marry that with really fun stick handling and a pretty decent release, there's just a lot that I think he has to build off of, a really nice foundation of tool sets and skills that allows him to be a really dynamic offensive attacker. I think the issue for him is that in the current role that he has, and in the way that he's been asked to play, and the way that he's just performed in general, we really haven't gotten all of those things working in conjunction together in a way where I feel like he's a guy I need to have around long term. I also don't really want him to go because I feel like if Roslovic starts to put everything together more consistently, the Jets have a special player, and I think he's somebody who I would not mind having around long term, especially if he's playing at a much higher level than he is right now. But I think the biggest question for Winnipeg is, Will he ever reach that level? And I, I just don't know. Part of me hopes that he does, but another part of me thinks that the Jets can't wait forever for him to develop into something more than what he is right now, which is like a competent middle six winger with some decent top six upside if he hits all the right notes. I think we've seen that he's not really an NHL caliber center yet. I, I think that that is one thing that he struggles with because as soon as he moves into that middle role, his ability to create space and open up passing and shooting lanes kind of goes away. I think he's somebody who really likes that flanking area where he can look for those cross-seam passes and he's able to sort of skate around his opponents and look for more opportunities from a wider position before he cuts back in and attacks defenders directly. You know, when you move him down to the center role, I think that he assumes too many responsibilities that sort of take away from the rest of his offensive game. So I think that he's best sitting out as a winger where he can kind of focus more on transition and just attacking space in general. But you know, I think that the Jets were really hoping that he would be that second-line center, and he's just not developed into that. So where that kind of leaves him with his team, I feel like is somebody who is almost like a nice-to-have, but maybe the Jets end up moving him as part of a package for a defenseman. As far as his season is concerned, I feel like I'm going to give him like a B-. I feel like he's 
been competent and capable, sometimes even good, but maybe not consistently enough where I feel like I want to give him like a high B or a low A. I think he's just been fine for the most part, very decent otherwise, but not enough where I, I'm really feeling like he's moving the needle actively and I can give him a much higher score. A guy who is kind of in a similar spot, but I think has actually done more in his particular role, at least to impress Paul Maurice, is Janssen Harkins. Harkins is one of those players who I think has a really high work ethic, but he also has a really nice skill set. You know, he's not some third or fourth line scrub who only works hard and skates. He's actually got a really nice tool set with a good shot, smart passing, good positioning, and just a really active motor on him. You know, he's somebody who's very comfortable going up and down the ice to forecheck or backcheck as need be, and he's also capable of creating offense, especially around the net. He's somebody who the underlying numbers right there and just a really short sample size haven't quite been what you're looking for yet, but I feel like based on the way that he's skating and what he's doing with that skating ability, as well as his general IQ and positioning, I feel like he's going to start getting more points and opportunities sooner rather than later. I think that he's a smart player, he knows how to use his frame and his skills to a, a pretty good degree, and I think he actually has very much fringe, you know, top six upside. He's the exact kind of player that I think if, if you have a guy like Paul Maurice, who's very much one of those coaches who favors players who look like they're actively trying a lot, then Harkins is somebody that you want because he's not only a guy who looks like a, a, a hard worker and is a hard worker, but he actually has quite a bit of upside in terms of just being more than like a bottom six uh, plug. I think that this is a guy who you can trust in transition, who's got some really nice offensive tool sets, and we saw him kind of dominate the AHL level over the past season or so. I think that his transition to the NHL is going to be relatively smooth. I feel like he's got some really good upside. He's still relatively young. I think he's like 22 or 23. And when the Jets made those Stanley Cup opportunities or even the 2014-15 ill-fated playoff run, I feel like Harkins is the exact kind of depth player that really bolstered that middle and bottom six unit and allowed more tactical flexibility for Maurice and his coaching staff. Harkins, I think, is the exact kind of guy that you want on a real cup contender, and hopefully the underlying and the regular score sheet results start pouring in. He's already had a quite a few NHL points so far in a pretty small, limited role, but I think as he continues to get more ice time and Maurice continues to trust him, we're going to see more and more from Janssen. Based on what he's accomplished, I feel like a B to a B plus is pretty fair. I think that he still has plenty of work that he can improve on. And uh, of course, he's only played a handful of games for the Jets. But so far, I like what I see. I think that he's got some upside. I like his work ethic. I like that he's actually a decent player with some nice skills. I think that he's somebody that I'd be happy to have around for uh, at least the foreseeable future. Closing us on tonight's episode, we will take a look at a couple more players, including guys like Gabriel Bork and Logan Shaw. But before then, I also wanted to tie us back into something related to Winnipeg. Those of you who follow my personal Twitter or have been longtime listeners of this podcast know that I love geek culture. I play video games, I watch anime, watch movies. I'm into all the pop culture stuff. I keep good track of it, so... I'm always looking for new opportunities and things to read, play, watch, etc. At this point, though, I'm pretty jaded, I think it's fair to say, because we have so many different media pieces out there, so many genres to explore. Finding the right thing that's unique and different from the rest of the crowd is pretty difficult. But that's why I was immediately drawn to what Your Story Transmedia had to offer. Your Story is a startup indie comic book, graphic novel, and video games publisher based in the Winnipeg area. And they just launched a brand new comic book line, including their flagship comic, The River Knows, which is set in Winnipeg during the 1960s. It's a hard-boiled detective story featuring elements of supernatural fiction, a little bit of X-Files, Sin City, and Mad Men influence, and the familiar sights of Portage and Maine, as well as other spots around Winnipeg. It's a unique take on the noir genre, and I highly recommend checking out the ebook version, which you can find at yourstory.ca for just $1.99. 
If you'd like to purchase a hard copy, be sure to check out the 8.5x11 high quality first printing run of The River Knows as well as all of Your Story's other comic books for just $11.99. And for the gamers among you, be sure to check out Your Story's upcoming game, Alien Machine Glow, once it launches. The game focuses on the hijinks of a cucumber farmer who gains the ability to see aliens. You can learn more about Alien Machine Glow as well as Your Story's other published works at yourstory.ca. When you place an order, be sure to use one-time promo code JETS2020 to get 15% off your order. Again, that's one-time promo code JETS2020 to get 15% off your order. Wrapping us up, we will run for you a few more Winnipeg Jets reviews, and I'm going to combine these first two together because I feel like, yeah, kind of like we had with Sabisa and Boteto, I think that these two players play very similar roles. They have similar on-ice impacts. You know, they kind of are the same guy for me. And that's Gabriel Bork and Logan Shaw. They were brought in to be depth forwards who I feel like Maurice probably thought were both defensively sound and could create transition play. I don't think any of them were really capable of that, especially in their own end. You know, Bork and Shaw are two of those guys who, for the most part, are AHLers at this stage of their careers. I think that they're fine in injury replacements. I wouldn't really want to see more than a few games of them, but they actually played quite a few for the Jets, and that's probably why I am going to be a little bit harsher in my grading. I feel like a D-plus to a C-minus is probably where I'm at with these guys. I think that they came in to eat up minutes on the fourth line. Sometimes they were given too many responsibilities. You know, they were used on the PK too, which is a little bit scary in my opinion. And then there were a few times where Maurice promoted them to like the top nine, which is again, pretty scary because I think that those assignments are a little bit too much for either of them to handle. Uh, I think Bork was more likely to be the one who got promoted, which again, not great. Uh, You know, I, I understand why the Jets brought them in on basically league minimum deals, but by the same token... I would not be upset if either of them found new teams. I think that the Jets have plenty of depth forwards hiding around, you know, either the AHL or probably free agency, and I'd prefer to find guys who are more like Harkins in that they can be tough and gritty and and really good work-rate players, but I also want them to be skilled and capable of not getting pummeled either at even strength or on the penalty kill. Find me guys who can be versatile players and who can give you at least some kind of play-driving ability, if not some sort of defensive impact in their own end. I don't really want guys who are not particularly great at either end of the ice. You've only got 12 forward skating spots, so I don't really think that you can afford to waste them, because if you start getting these guys who are, you know, liabilities in their own end, especially on that fourth line, that basically means you're only going to be able to shift that fourth line a few times. Give me something more like Tampa Bay's fourth line, which is really balanced, really capable of being a potent offensive threat against soft matchups, and can just eat up time as well as, you know, occupy PK space. The final review we're going to do tonight, though, is going to be uh, Nikolai Ehlers, who is quite a bit different from our previous two players. And of course, Ehlers, I I think it's really hard to overstate how important he is to this team. Nick is arguably our best all-around forward. He's such a creative skater. He's really good at pretty much all situations. I feel like you can even use him on the PK, even though I don't know that Maurice really cares for that. Obviously, I think his power play work is just okay. He's not like a really big power play forward, but what he gives you at even strength and what he does in transition, in creating offensive zone space, and just being an all-around excellent transition skater, Nick is by far Winnipeg's most important uh, even strength forward. I think because he's so good at it, he's also Winnipeg's best. I think he and Shifley are right there, you know, in in terms of importance to this team. And obviously, I, I could see that people will say that Shifley is more important because he's the first line center. But I think that Nick excels at so many things. This team kind of breaks without him. So really, you could make an argument for either guy. I might have to say Nick is important right now just because he performs at such a consistently high level. I really don't know what this team does without him. 
He's probably my favorite Jets forward to watch outside of a guy like Patrick Liney or something. I'm going to have to give him like an A- minus to an A. I think that he had a pretty great season. You know, he's consistently a, a good skater for the most part. He's like a really offensively productive player. He can do so much for you, and I just don't really know how many downsides I can really find with his game. That's going to do it for tonight's episode. Thank you so much for listening, and before you log off, be sure to check out the Locked On National podcast hosted by Sarah Avampato, as well as many of our other affiliate shows, including Locked On Dallas Stars and Locked On Lightning, if you're looking for more Stanley Cup Finals news. Have a great night, and as always, go Jets go.